And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. Uh, I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation you can join. Uh, If you are in the travel industry, if you've written about travel, uh, shoot me an email to FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. But even if you're not in the travel industry, even if you're not traveling, and who is nowadays? We're recording this in April. There's quarantines everywhere. We're all staying at home, but we're still dreaming about travel. And if you want to join us in doing that, I'd like to welcome you to Fromers.com, our website. It's a hoot. We have lots of really great transporting articles with gorgeous photos. We have lists of great travel movies, travel podcasts, live streams. You can watch naked mole rats playing with one another, all kinds of stuff we have on Fromers.com. So we hope you'll visit us there. Keep us in business by visiting us there. Now, for those of you who've listened to the Fromer Travel Show for a while, you know that usually the show is a potpourri of different guests. In this time of no travel, we're switching it up. We are going to be speaking to the folks we consider to be the world's greatest travelers and travel writers. And Tim Cahill falls into that bucket. Tim, who is our guest today, was one of the founding editors of the great Outside Magazine. He's written dozens of books on travel, uh, including ones and uh, the Names of these books are such a delight. Uh, Pass the Butterworms, Jaguars Ripped My Flesh, A Lost in My Own Backyard, Pecked to Death by Ducks, and more. Hey, Tim, welcome to the Travel Show. So nice to have you on. It's so nice to be here. And Tim, where are you? Where are we reaching you? Uh, I'm in Livingston, Montana. Oh, that must be beautiful. That's a nice place to self-quarantine. Are you able to get out into nature? Yes, um, the uh, uh, I, I've been here for about forty years, and uh, um, I, I know all the trails that nobody else goes on. So uh. <laughs> I'm able to I'm able to take my dogs for long walks every day. Oh, that's great! Now you ended up first at Rolling Stone uh, on the staff there. Why would you? So how 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 did it go from Rolling Stone to Outside Magazine? Rolling Stone wanted to put together an outdoor magazine. Um, uh, it was, uh, um, and uh, they picked uh, two of us, Michael Rogers and myself, uh, who like to go outdoors and like to go camping. And uh, uh, the beautiful and very intelligent and deceased, and sadly, Harriet Fear, um, mm. because she was just a great organizer and editor, and the three of us came up with the concept of the magazine. Now, what we we got a lot of uh, 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 when the first couple of issues came out, uh, the journalism pundits made a great deal of fun of Outside Magazine because here's what here's here's what the concept of Outside was 
boiled down to um, its essence, and that is literate writing about the out of doors. You have to cast yourself back into the uh, 70s and recall that outdoor writing was the province of uh, either um, magazines like Canoeing, which was a service magazine, told you how to canoe 12 times a year or how to buy gear or things like that, Um, or uh, magazines that you would find in a barbershop with a pole that had titles like Argosy, A Saga, Man's Adventure, Adventure for Man, um, that kinds of things. And those those uh, those were kind of subliterate stories that always had penguins at the North Pole and uh, huh. uh, yeah, very different <laughs> from the. Yeah, very different from the literate uh, magazine that Outside turned to turned out to be. In the course of writing for Outside Magazine, you got to travel to far-flung places all over the world. Now, I know you were a swimmer, uh, but did you take naturally to, to doing this type of adventure travel? Are you an unusually brave person, or was it not being brave that made you a good adventure writer? I think it was uh, the latter, of course. Um the uh, um, we made some mistakes at the early part of Outside Magazine, and that is, for instance, if we were writing about ice climbing, we would uh, hire the world's best ice climber to write a story for us. Well, it didn't work very well that way because a, the people generally weren't um, writers because well, they'd spent a lot of their time becoming the world's best ice climber and, <laughs> right. and not writing. Yeah, and and secondly. Um, they addressed their peers, the, the other best ice climbers in the world, which made it uh, difficult for the, the ordinary reader to identify with it. Um, and as, as this went on, I said to Harriet Fear, um, "Look, we, we don't need we don't need Superman at the base of a mountain. Maybe he can leap tall buildings in a single bound. We don't want that. We." We want somebody who can write a coherent English sentence and who is easily frightened. And Harriet <laughs> said, Tim, you do it. So, right. So that's how you got and, into and, it. And it, and, and, it, and it helps if you're a little bit uh, of a, uh, a klutz. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. And that's what's so charming about the stories. How many places have you gone to, do you think, at this point? Oh, um, well, well over a hundred different countries. Um, wow! So. You also went uh, to Papua New Guinea. I was just reading a story by you uh, in your book "Pass the Butterworms" uh, about. And, and to anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Tim Cahill, who is a storied travel writer, the author of many books, including "Pass the Butterworms." Jaguars ripped my flesh, hold the enlightenment. And in this story, you talked about the fact that when missionaries went to Papua New Guinea, uh, they desperately tried to get the people there, to the tribes, to wear clothing, uh, as did the government later, by giving out free slacks, free T-shirts. And yet when you went, they were still very nude, except for penis gourds and grass skirts. And yet you talked about how that might make them more uh, 
family people, how that actually worked into their culture. Can you talk a little bit about the people there and the, the clothing that they did wear? Yes, they they were uh, uh, what the anthropologists call phallocrypts. Um, yes, they wore guards uh, uh, over their penis, um, and uh, everything else sort of hangs out, so to speak. Um, they, uh, um, I was I was kind of fascinated by this uh, haberdashery. Um, I I just say, how do you grow those guards? <laughs> I mean they. Long, and they 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 put the the plant on a trestle, and the uh, so the the gourds grow from uh, three feet above your head, huh. and make these long uh, sort of things, um, and and they stand around now. Now Papua is pretty close to the equator. I think three four degrees north of the equator. Um, but we're talking about people who live at five and six thousand feet. So at five and six thousand feet, it gets cool. Yeah. In the evening, um, and people uh, don't hang out uh, in the villages. They they go back home to their family and uh, sit around a fire. And uh, well, you write in me, this, you write in the story about how once you actually picked up. A, a native guy who was freezing by the side of the road in the evening, and he invited you home to dinner with him, which sounded like an incredible adventure. It, it was a wonderful adventure, and uh, the uh, um, they they allowed me to uh, sleep there in the men's hut, um, which uh, uh, had this this odor um, of smoke and. Mm. Uh, and leather, and uh, wow. and I I looked around, and there was um, a mummy there. Oh my um, goodness! You know what? Hold that a- thought. We have to take another break. I'm sorry. To, we, okay. we kind of did this at the peak of your story, but we'll be right back. Don't turn that dial. We have to take a quick break, but before we go to commercials, I hate to do this, but I gotta. Here's a little commercial for us at Fromers. We are the United States preeminent travel publisher. Our books are fun to read, whether you're planning a journey or whether you're just dreaming about travel or visit our website. Wow, do we have a wide panoply up there right now of all kinds of great information uh, about culture, about cuisine, about history, about things that will distract you from the difficult times that we're in. Uh, so once again, please visit us at fromers.com. Please consider buying a Fromer guidebook. And we also want to thank you, as always, for tuning into this show. Let me say, don't turn that dial. We will be right back after these commercial messages. Thanks. Welcome back to The Travel Show. When we left, we were talking with Tim Cahill. He was in a the men's hut in Papua New Guinea, and it smelled like leather, and it smelled like smoke, and you saw a mummy, and, and it, am I getting that right? A mummy? A, a dead? 
body wrapped? Yeah, yep, yep. It it was uh, uh, his name was Beantok Mabel. He was the the patriarch. uh, Long, I don't know how old this this mummy was, but uh, he was uh, he was a great warrior in the time of ritual warfare before. the missionaries came in in the fifties, uh, and uh, uh, so uh, was his the only body in this about, hut, or or would there would he? And oh no, he, no, oh no, there were there were all of us there, and it. it uh, I mean, the only uh, dead body, I should say. The only dead body, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. the, and and I didn't expect to be dead either. They were very friendly, and uh, we, right. We sang songs, and the uh, and the women and the children would be in there, and we sang songs, and we pounded on logs, and we laughed quite a bit, and we had uh, uh, dinner sweet potatoes, uh, the best sweet potatoes you've ever had in your life. Interesting. And uh, they uh, uh, and it seemed to me at that time there was a uh, a big uh, big to do in the United States about family values. Right. And it seemed to me that being naked drove these people home at night to be with their families and to laugh and sing and dine together. And I thought, being naked fosters family values. (laughs) Well, that's a good way to look at it. It doesn't in Papua New Guinea quite clearly. We are speaking with Tim Cahill. He is the author of many, many books on travel. He was one of the founding editors of Outside Magazine. Tim, you were just talking about the wonderful sweet potatoes in Papua New Guinea. I'm guessing you've probably tried a lot of odd foods in your life. Uh, what has been the weirdest meal you've ever had? Um, there are several weird meals that... Uh come to mind uh, in Africa there's acacia worms um, there's are worms that are in the acacia tree and they're about the size of your little finger and uh, they put them on a twig and put them over a fire and um, I, I don't know I'm, a, I'm I have a excess of empathy I guess I felt sorry for the damn worms because they're uh, alive when they're put over the fire Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Poor worms. How did they taste? Um, bacony. Bacony. Uh, Interesting. That's not bad. I guess probably yeah, from the no, smoke not, from the fire. Yeah, yeah. And then there's there's another kind of worm that uh, uh, this was this was yeah this was back in Papua. Um, it's in the sago palm and it's a sago worm. Oh, I got another story for you about that. Um, there were some people uh, in uh, in the Asmat jungles, the largest swamplands in the world. And uh, uh, when I went, they were just um, they had just been contacted by the outside world the year before. This wow. it's an offshoot of the Karawai uh, tribe. In what country? And uh, um, this is now called West Papua. It was huh. Iri and Jaya when I was okay. there. Huh. Um, Anyway, we went 500 miles up the Baliam River, and we got to this place, and we walked through the the jungle. They they, they didn't want to be on the river. They didn't want to see other people, and uh, they lived in trees. And, uh, you know, 50 feet up in the trees, and that got them out of the mosquitoes, and 
the mm. like. And uh, we met them and negotiated with them and went up uh, and lived in their treehouse. And, and they had uh, these um, stones stones laid across uh, one part of the thing where they had a fire. And the, on the coals, they put uh, the pith and sago uh, sap of the sago um, palm tree and they made a bread and they gave it to me mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and you know offered me a bite and it was I don't know how one can be both at the same time but it was sour and tasteless <laughs> and uh, wow. I happen to know I happen to know a word or two of Caraway, which I'd boned up on, and I said, Monotravan, very good. Well, it was the first thing I said, and they looked at me. This was basically a group of people who had not been contacted by the outside world until last year, and now somebody from the outside world had come in, tasted the bread, and said, it's very good. Well, it's not very good. It's what we eat every day. It's terrible. The first word out of my mouth was a lie. Oh, do you think they realized it was a lie? Yeah, from the way they looked at me, yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's very funny. I I also loved, I read an an article where you wrote about having a snake dinner in China. What was that? And that was for virility, right? Well, yes, and it's a typical uh, men's uh, dinner. You uh, 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 talk about wet markets. Um, uh-huh. You go to restaurants in um, in Beijing, and there will be various live animals, and you can go over and uh, and, and and pick your uh, uh, pick your dinner. And uh, you know, so, well, what what do I know about venomous snakes? They take me over and say which one. I point at one. Uh, they come over and uh, uh, guy grabs the snake, you, and you know what? what? <laughs> it is supposed to increase. They, you eat every little part of it, and they give it to you. Uh, you know, the, the skin will come out uh, fried crisp. Um, the meat will come out in a stir fry. Um, the gallbladder is taken and put in, in this. I forget the name of this clear. Um, a very strong alcoholic liquid. Oh my! And then you drink it. It's put in a uh, small glass with a very potent uh, clear liquor and kind of mashed up, and you drink that. Oof. Now I made the mistake of just okay, I'm going to have to drink this, so I threw it down, and they fill up your glass again, and they keep filling up your glass, and and, and on top of that. I happened to be there during the international um, year of the women, huh. uh, the woman, and uh, Beijing had uh, decided that no venomous snakes. We didn't want people be going around being virile uh, with all these women uh, in town. <laughs> we have to take a break. We'll be right back. We are speaking with Tim Cahill. 
noted travel writer. He's one of the founders of Outside Magazine. He has wonderful books that really will pass the time in quarantine well, will allow you to travel. They're called Pass the Butterworms, Jaguars Ripped My Flesh. Another one is Pecked to Death by Ducks. Another one is A Wolverine is Eating My Legs. And Tim, as we've been discussing, you've been all over the world. And yet, uh, I know because I, I uh, have been with you at Book Passage, which is a wonderful independent bookstore in Corte Madera, California. We, we do a travel writers uh, seminar together there that you almost lost your life here at home in the United States. Uh, and you, you've written about that. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what happened to you? What was it, two years ago, three years ago now? Um, it was uh, four years ago now. Oh, and okay. uh, what, what happened is I was in the uh, uh, rafting the Grand Canyon, and uh, we got to the uh, what is universally considered the nastiest uh, rapids in the canyon uh, called Lava Falls. And somewhere at the top of Lava Falls, uh, uh, this was a private trip. It was uh, just a group of friends. Um, uh, we, uh, my boat and uh, the guy who was rowing, uh, we somehow hit a rogue wave, and uh, I mean, right at the top of Lava Falls, and uh, and I went out and uh, and, and and swam uh, 250 yards through some of the nastiest water. There's, you know, I, I, as I said, I was a swimmer. I was a swimmer in college, but right. uh, these are forces well beyond human control. You can't uh, uh, swim through any of that. I thought I could. Uh, give myself some directions. It was also a winter trip, um, which is why we were able to get a permit. Um, so it was sometime in December. And the water was pretty cold, uh, 42 degrees or so. I don't know. I was in the water. I, I, I can't, you know, 15 minutes or so. And I managed to get to shore and uh, walked about 15 steps, sat down on a... Uh, on a sandbank, fell over, and uh, they said I turned gray, then blue, and uh, my pulse stopped and my uh, my heart stopped. Now, one of the I, I was lucky in my travel companions. One of them was a wilderness EMT, and one of them was a certified nurse, and uh, they did uh, CPR. And uh, nobody knows how long I was out. Um, you know, because nobody took a stopwatch to it. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, most people say four minutes, five. Somebody said ten minutes. I I like to go for the big, long (laughs) Right. But anyway, I was dead for, I was apparently dead for a while. Wow. And and the fact that you were brought back by CPR, people probably don't realize this, but that only is usually done until other help can come. People only come back from that twenty percent of the time. I mean, you you had the statistics in your article. Yeah, less than that. It's a single digit because they do that waiting for the uh, defibril. Oh, I can't say it. (laughs) Defib paddles. Right. Right. uh, And and and. Strangely enough, on this trip, we did not have any defib paddles. Uh, but we did call the um, the park service, and they brought in a helicopter and uh, 
and I was evacuated. And the wilderness EMT, um, uh, Jason Kleinberg, thank you, Jason. Uh, he uh, um, uh, he pretty much broke all my ribs in doing the uh, uh, the CPR. He did it right. He, right. He uh, and I was in in way more pain from uh, broken ribs. It, 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 it turns out that when you uh, uh, when you swallow a lot of river water, breathe in a lot of river water, um, your lungs are kind of, uh, you need to clear them, which means you have to cough, which is very unpleasant with uh, broken ribs. Broken ribs, sure. Wow. Well, we're glad you're yeah. here. For anybody tuning in late, we are speaking with Tim Cahill. He is the author of many, many books, and they're I, I just love reading the names of these books, so I'm going to do it again. One is called Past the Butterworms. Another one is called Jaguars Ripped My Flesh. Now, these were done with irony, right, Tim? Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Another one is Pecked to Death by Ducks. Another one is A Wolverine is Eating My Legs. Uh, you can get them all, I'm sure, wherever books are sold. We suggest supporting the small local bookstores. Many of them are sending out books and they need to do this to survive. I'm looking at the clock. We have to take a short break. Before we go, though, I want to fill you in about a couple of the things you'll see if you go to fromers.com. We're trying to create great information for all members of the family. So we have recipes for all of you cooks of amazing hotel Desserts. Interestingly, the brownie was created at a hotel, the Palmer in Chicago, as was the soccer tort. And we have those amazing homewood cookies up there, as well as great cocktail recipes. We also have lists of movies that will help you travel, virtual tours where you actually get a live tour guide uh, who can answer questions as she's taking you through videos and photos of things like the catacombs of Paris or the Acropolis in Greece. Uh, there's some really great virtual tours out there, and there's some stinkers too that are just kind of travel videos that somebody put up and is calling a virtual tour. So if you visit us at Fromers.com, we will lead you to the best of those. We also have stuff for kids right now. We have which Disney movies will really help you get that travel experience and so, so much more. So even though it's not a time when we're traveling, we still love to think about travel. We still love to dream. Now we're going to take a break. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Frommer here with my dad, Arthur Frommer. And on the line, we have Tim Cahill. And Pauline, can yes. I say at this point that I have been absolutely riveted to the fascinating tales uh, performed for us or, or delivered <laughs> to us by Tim Cahill. I am going to break quarantine. I'm going to go to a bookstore, <laughs> which is down the street dad. from where we live. And I'm immediately going to take <laughs> some of these fascinating books to read. Oh, well, thanks. So, Tim, when you've been traveling, obviously you're an outsider wherever you go. And you write as an outsider. 
What does that mean? I mean, how do you how do you make sure that you're still being respectful when you're writing about places that are so different from where you're from, Montana? Um, one of the one of the key things is to uh, uh, you you don't want to be the alpha male uh, in the group. You don't want to be the person that's uh, challenged. Um, and I've had this happen all over the world in uh, small villages in uh, Siberia or in the Amazon or something. As you come into a small village way out in the middle of nowhere that uh, is not used to seeing people like yourselves, um, generally what happens is the um, uh, uh, you'll get people coming out and it'll generally be uh, the men of the village and then young men teenagers and you just say hello and you try to say hello and then you'll find that the young male people are uh, they see that you're not dangerous and they start saying things Um, maybe if it's Spanish you can understand a little bit of it Um, uh, Portuguese uh, you can understand a little bit you can understand that you're being insulted and the the real key in this situation is what you do is you look around and some of the elders will come out and you look at them and get their eyes and you shrug and kind of say, Oh, what are they saying? What are they saying? And all of a sudden the elders realize that they're not being hospitable at all. And they tell the young man to, no, no, these are our guests. And, uh, uh, it, there's just many techniques like that that you learn over the years. Right. And I remember that you, you've also said at Book Passage that you, you drink with the folks you're, that who are there, that alcohol, and I don't want to be pushing alcohol or saying we should all become alcoholics. We shouldn't. But that there is a a system of hospitality or a tradition of hospitality almost everywhere you go, and it often revolves around that and, uh, you know, gathering together. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I can tell you one quick story, um, uh, and it's it's a little more serious. Than, uh, sure. Uh, my friend's son, uh, who was a 26-year-old guy, was rafting down the Marignan River in uh, Peru, and uh, he stopped on an island, and uh, uh, he was... Uh, shot to death, killed. Uh, We, the father and I, went to that village to talk to the village people. And what the father wanted to say was that his son was, uh, had worked in an orphanage up just up river from them, that uh, he had come to uh, be friends with them, to help them, and uh, that they should... uh, tell those culpables, the guilty ones, of this. Mm. And as he was giving this speech, the villagers made us a, um, uh, a, a, a dinner, um, a lunch. And part of the lunch was an alcoholic beverage, which is uh, made of cassava melon, which uh, uh, cassava uh, and the women chew this and then spit it into a uh, a container, 
and that's buried for several days where it huh. ferments. Wow. And it has, it's this sort of white liquid. And, uh, and since it's taken from underground, it's cooler than uh, that hot weather that you were in there. Sure. And it actually tasted pretty good. But the, the fact that the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those, somebody asked me, um, well, why did you drink that? <laughs> the situation that we were in? Yes, you have of to course. drink that. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we are speaking with Tim Cahill. Uh, for anybody tuning in late, he is the author of dozens of books on travel, including Past the Butterworms, A Wolverine is Eating My Legs, uh, another one called Peck to Death by Ducks. You can get them wherever books are sold. And said earlier, we hope you'll visit us at Fromers.com as well, where we have a lot of great articles about the adventure and the fun of travel. We have one short segment left with Tim Cahill, where I'm going to ask him why he thinks travel will come back, hopefully, or if he does, and why... You're listening to The Travel Show, and if you've been listening for the last hour, we've had the wonderful Tim Cahill on, one of the founders of Outside Magazine, the author of many great books on travel. So, Tim, I gave you a warning. Uh, we're all stuck at home right now. Nobody's going anywhere. Um do you think we will get out of this? Do you think people will travel again? And why should they travel again? What, what What's important about the activity? Or is there anything important about the activity? Well, on, on the first aspect, yes, I think people will travel again. Um, we've had uh, our various uh, um, epidemic uh, travel uh, stoppages scares in the sure. past. Um, and we've also had 9/11, and people said nobody's going to travel after 9/11. Right. And uh, and they did. And I think yes, we'll we'll come back. I think it's a um, uh, it's it's kind of a universal urge um, to travel, and 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 it's important for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, as Mark Twain says, it's fatal to prejudice. Right. And. Uh, also, I mean, I'm often asked, well, Tim, when you went to such and such a place, you figured out the logistics all yourself. You went there um, and you, uh, uh, you had to find this and find that. And there was all kinds of problems and obstacles. That's what stories are about. But now people do an adventure travel and they go to some of the very same places uh, you went and they get on the boat or they get their backpack on and their guides have it all dialed in and there's no, uh, and, and doesn't that irritate you? It does not irritate me, not in the least, because, um, uh, you know, that's my job. My job is to go out there and do that. But other people uh, have work to do. And, sure. uh, and, and they've got two weeks. Right. And uh, they don't have time to bumble around like I did. But, I want them to be out into this remote area. And the reason I do 
is because that's the way things get preserved. If yes. you're invested in it, uh, if you if you climb the mountain, if you descended the river, if you walk the trail, you have uh, when it when it becomes threatened by some kind of development, um, uh, there's a ready-made coterie of people who are personally invested in the place. So I'm all for that kind of adventure travel. Wonderful. And and it will happen. Yes, I hope so. We have been speaking with Tim Cahill. Once again, go out, get his books. They'll pass the time wonderfully when you're in seclusion. Uh, some of my favorites include Hold the Enlightenment, A Wolverine is Eating My Legs, and Pecked to Death by Ducks. We have to say goodbye for this hour of The Travel Show. We thank you so much for listening. And as we always end this show, we always say, Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. 